As we've mentioned, we are beginning a new sermon series in 1 John today, and it's, it's a fantastic letter, even if Jeff doesn't understand it. It is a brilliant letter in the Bible. And as we go through 1 John together, God's going to teach us to love him more and to love one another more as the church. In 1 John, there is a reminder over and over and over again of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, which we believe and celebrate in this church. The book of 1 John is going to help you discern whether you are a true Christian, whether you have truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ, whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you do, this letter is going to give you joy in God and an assurance of your salvation, which is such a wonderful thing to have. But most of all, most of all, as we read 1 John together over the next few weeks, we are going to focus on Jesus Christ. And we love to focus on our Lord and Saviour. We love to proclaim him and celebrate him and worship him, for he is the Son of God, worthy of our worship and adoration. And my prayer and hope as we read this letter is that all of us will be moved to focus on Jesus and to love him more deeply and to worship him in our lives. So this letter is written by John, the apostle, the disciple, He describes himself in John's Gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved, by which I don't think he means that Jesus didn't love the other disciples, but rather John had this wonderful, close, special relationship with Jesus. He wrote the Gospel and then he wrote three letters towards the end of the Bible written to the churches to help the churches then and help churches now understand how we should live and what we should believe. So let's begin this letter together. I'm going to read 1 John 1. Verses 1 to 4, and the words are already on the screen behind me. So let's read together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In this passage, in these four verses that I've just read to you, We're going to see who is or what is the word of life. And then we're going to see that the word of life was with God the Father in the beginning. And then we're going to see that the word of life was made manifest on the earth. Then we're going to see the word of life being proclaimed and testified. And finally, we're going to think about fellowship with the word of life. So this sermon is all about the word of life. So firstly, the word of life with God the Father in the beginning. I want you to imagine that someone comes up to you and sits next to you right now and whispers something in your ear. I know the word of life. They whisper to you right now. Or they might say in perhaps more modern language, they whisper in in your ear and say, I know the meaning of life. I know the meaning of life. How are you going to respond to that person whispering? Firstly, you might jump. Why are you whispering to me in the middle of Duncan's sermon? Then you're going to tell them off and say, aren't you listening? (laughs) 
But then you might say, please tell me. Tell me the meaning of life. Tell me the word of life. What is it that you know? I want to know what the meaning of life is. I want to know what the word of life is. And this is kind of what John does at the beginning of this letter. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't tell us who he's writing to. He just jumps straight in by talking mysteriously. And he says, that which was from the beginning. And the end of verse one, he says, I'm talking to you about the word of life, concerning the word of life. I'm talking about the word of life. And then verse two, he says, the life was made manifest. So in verse one, he's talking about the word of life. In verse two, he's just talking about the life. The life was made manifest. And then in ver- at the end of verse two, he says, I proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father. So John's talking about the word of life. He's talking about the life and he's talking about the eternal life. He's writing mysteriously. I want to tell you about this thing. I want to tell you about the word of life. Now we know that John isn't talking about a thing at all. It sounds like he's talking about a thing, doesn't it, in the way he's writing. But we know that John is talking about a person, the person Jesus Christ. In verse 5, I didn't read this to you, but in verse 5, John stops talking about a thing and says, this is the message that we heard from him. So the thing that I've been speaking about isn't a thing, it's a him. I've been talking to you about a person. And Christian readers of this letter will immediately recognise similarities with the start of John's gospel. So John writes a gospel where he tells the story of Jesus' life and he writes this letter. And the opening to the gospel and the opening to this letter have lots of similarities between them. So this is what John writes at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So again, John, when he opens his gospel, he sounds like he's talking about a thing. It sounds like he's talking about the word, but then he starts talking about him and he. So the word is a he. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When John introduces Jesus Christ to people in his writing, He loves to call Jesus the word and he loves to call Jesus the life. That's what he does three times, doesn't he? He says Jesus is the word of life. Jesus is the life and Jesus is eternal life. And that's our first takeaway from this passage this morning. I want you to know that Jesus is life. He is the word of life. He is the life and he is eternal, everlasting life. Now, what do we mean when we say that? What do we mean when we say Jesus is life? What do we mean? Well, firstly, we mean Jesus gives life to everyone because all things are created by, through and for Jesus. Did you catch that in John's gospel? There was nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus or through Jesus. And so we know the Bible teaches us that Jesus gave life to all people. Everything was made by him. Everything was made through him and everything was made for him and his glory. And so everything that has breath has been given life by Jesus. You, 
whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've accidentally turned up in this room and now thinking, how can I get out of here? (laughs) You were made by Jesus. He has given you life. And so when we say Jesus is life, the first thing we're saying is that everything in this universe has life from Jesus. But when we say Jesus is life, we also mean Jesus is the resurrection life. Human life is is not just 70 years here on earth if you are a Christian. But you can look forward to resurrection life after death. There's another story in John's Gospel, in John chapter 11, when Jesus raises a man called Lazarus from the dead. Everyone's weeping and crying, this man Lazarus is dead. And Jesus just speaks and Lazarus rises from the dead and comes out of the tomb. And you know what Jesus says when he does that miracle? I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, we know the Easter story. We celebrated it last weekend. And we celebrate every weekend when we gather, all the time when we gather. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again and defeated death. He made a way for his disciples to follow. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, death is not the end for you, for you will be resurrected by the power of Jesus into eternal life. So when we say Jesus is is the life, we mean that he is the life of creation, but we also mean he is the resurrection life. Life after death is on offer, but only through the death conquering saviour, Jesus Christ. If you want to be resurrected into eternal life, you need to believe in Jesus. So Jesus is the creator of life. He is the resurrection life and he's also the eternal life. That's what he's called in that passage and he's called the eternal life. And at the end of John's letter, this is something else he writes. 1 John 5 verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This is the testimony that John wants to preach in his letter that God has given the gift of eternal life and this life is given in his son. Where can you find eternal life from? It is in Jesus. And so whoever has the son has life and has eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life because this is who he is. He is the eternal life. Of course, the opposite of that is also true. If you do not have Jesus, if you do not believe in Jesus, if you do not have faith in his life, death and resurrection from the dead, then you do not have this gift of eternal life, which is an offer on offer in Jesus Christ. Eternal, everlasting life in paradise is only found in the Son. In fact, eternal life can be described as knowing Jesus. Eternal life is knowing God through Jesus. And you wouldn't want eternal life without Jesus anyway, because he's the source of everything good. So if the, if the offer of eternal life in the Bible was, you can live forever, but it's going to be rubbish because there's no good God and Jesus isn't there, then you would turn it down. You'd say, I don't want that. But the offer is eternal, everlasting life in the Son, in Jesus, through relationship with him. And I can tell you that is the greatest prize 
the most wonderful thing in all of reality, to know Jesus forever and knowing that in him life is found and he is life eternal. You either have Jesus, believe in him, know him, do life with him or you don't. And if you do, you have eternal life. And if you don't, the only thing waiting for you is death and judgment and damnation. So Jesus is the life. He is the creator of life. He is the resurrection life. He is the eternal life. And there's two responses to that message that John begins his letter with. You can either ignore it or reject the word of life. I think that's a rude thing to do, or the Christian word is a sinful thing to do. To ignore the one who has given you life is not a good thing to do, is it? If you ignore your your birth mother completely, that's not the right response to the life that she's given you. Well, how much more is that true of the one who's truly given you life, Jesus Christ, the giver of life? And if you ignore or reject the word of life, that has catastrophic consequences. Death Damnation and judgment away from joy-filled life with Christ. That's one response to this message, that Jesus is the word of life. But the other response is to thank Christ for creating you. To believe in his resurrection from the dead. To rejoice in the hope of life after death. To follow the path he has made in his death and his resurrection. And to move and enter into eternal life with God forever. And so believers, this opening to the letter is cause to rejoice. Christ is life and I have him. He is mine through faith. I have Jesus and therefore I have the eternal life that is in him. And so Christians read and say, yes, Jesus is the life. Now, what's the first thing that John tells us about the word of life in these verses? Well, he tells us that he was from the beginning. He opened that which was from the beginning. And then in verse 2, he says something which is related. He says, the eternal life was with the Father. In other words, Before time began, before this universe was created, in eternity, the word of life, God the Son, Jesus, was with God the Father. He was from the beginning and he was with God the Father in eternity. And although he isn't mentioned in these opening verses, God the Holy Spirit is mentioned multiple times in this letter and he was there also, eternally existing, eternally being, eternally loving. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and the Father and the Son loving the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loving the Father and the Son. And so we declare, we did believe in this church, that Jesus, God the Son, has eternally existed with the Father. Now, some cults and false teachers deny this and don't understand this teaching. They believe that Jesus had a beginning, that Jesus had a moment when he was created. And because they believe this, they say he isn't God. He isn't worthy of our worship. He isn't, and sometimes a Jehovah's Witness will come to your door. You might have this discussion with them. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't worship him as God. They say that Jesus was created. The first created being is what they say of Jesus. And that's false teaching. That's not biblical teaching. And one way you can go, one place you can go to prove this is the letter of 1 John. Because at the end of 1 John, in 1 John 5 verse 20, John writes of the Son of God, 
he is the true God and eternal life. And you can go here to the beginning of this letter and say, but he was he is from the beginning. He was with the father. How can you say he had a beginning within creation? That's not biblical teaching. So we know that Jesus is God. He is from the beginning. He was with the father from eternity. Every other religion has man-made origins. But Jesus is God from heaven and therefore we know his teaching is true. And so we learn here that the word of life was with God the Father in the beginning. Now the second thing we learn concerning the word of life from these verses is that the word of life was made manifest. Verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, writes John. But I I love verse 1. I love what John says in verse 1. We have heard. That which was from the beginning, we have heard the word of life. We've heard his voice. We've heard him teaching us. We were there at the Sermon on the Mount when he sat down and preached the most glorious, wonderful sermon that has ever been preached. We've sat with him in the upper room where he's taught us about the power of the Holy Spirit. We have heard his voice, says John. We have seen with our eyes writes John in this letter. I saw him, my own eyeballs gazed upon the word of life who was with the Father in the beginning, but he was made manifest on the earth. I saw him. In fact, he doubles down on saying, I saw him. He, he says, doesn't he, we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon. So I've not just, it wasn't just a glimpse where I just glimpsed him kind of walking around the corner. I've gazed at the word of life made manifest in the flesh. I've looked upon him. And then probably this one's my favourite. We've touched him with our hands. If John's writing this letter, but he could put, you know the hand that is writing this letter, this hand has touched the word of life made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. When John tells the story of the Lord's Supper and all the disciples gathering to eat together, do you know what John was doing at that meal? It says he was leaning against the bosom of Jesus Christ. He was leaning on the chest of Jesus. I've touched him. I've used my hands and I've touched him. I've leant against him while we ate dinner together. It's just a magnificent detail in the Gospels, isn't it? And of course, John isn't just teaching, uh, talking about Jesus' life before his death. John is also talking about what happened after the resurrection. I lived alongside him. I did life with him. I had dinner with him. And then he died on the cross and he was put into the tomb. But I have heard, I have seen and I have touched the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He made us breakfast on the beach and we ate fish with him. I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. I felt the scars they had in his wrists when he hung upon the cross. Now notice that John says we all the way through verses 1 to 4. He's not just talking about himself. He's he's writing this seemingly from the perspective of all the apostles, all the guys who were with him, who saw him, who touched him. And I really believe this is unique to Christianity. I don't want to be disrespectful to other religions, but the truth is Islam was founded by Muhammad who went into a cave by himself. And came out saying an angel met with me and told me what was true. 
It was one man's opinion of what happened. It was one man's viewpoint of what had happened. The truth of Islam hangs on one man's testimony. In Sikhism, the founder of Sikhism, Guru Nanak, died and his followers were told that his spirit had passed into the next guru. So that Guru Nanak was still alive, but the teaching could be passed on by his spirit into the next guru. But there was nothing to see or touch or, or hear. It was, just a, it was just an idea that the spirit had passed. How could you prove that that had happened? You couldn't. But Christianity begins with multiple eyewitnesses. People saying, we saw, we heard, we touched the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And then they devoted their lives to proclaiming that message. And that was a stupid thing to do because these guys were martyred, killed, were imprisoned. John himself was put in prison and exiled on an island, sent away from where he wanted to be because of what he was proclaiming and believing. This isn't a mass hallucination as some scholars who... They go, Jesus definitely existed. We know that from the record. And then they go, but how can we explain the fact that he rose from the dead? We're scientific. We don't believe in resurrection. So maybe it was a mass hallucination. Well, John says that he touched this guy. And and he's not alone in saying that with the other apostles. So this was some mass hallucination if that was happening. That doesn't make any sense to me. That is more ridiculous, I think, that someone would rise from the dead to argue that this is mass hallucination. This isn't a made-up story. This isn't disciples lying in order to gain power. They didn't gain power. They were persecuted for what they believed. This is history. This is history. Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to many witnesses who heard and saw and touched him and went, I've got to give my life, whatever the consequences, in order to tell others about this glorious Lord and Saviour. His resurrection proves that he was with the Father in the beginning. It proves that he was the Saviour and God made manifest on the earth. It proves everything he taught us and therefore they gave their lives to proclaim Jesus. And that's my Third point this morning, the word of life proclaimed. Verse 2, John says, we testify, or it could be translated, we bear witness. John says, I'm in the dock and I'm a witness of this event. I've seen and heard and touched him. Ask me questions. I will tell you the answers. I will bear witness. I will testify concerning Jesus. He was with the Father. He has been made manifest. He died on the cross. He rose again in glory. We testify this, John writes. We proclaim to you the eternal life. I'm writing this letter because I've got something to proclaim, to herald, to declare to you that there is eternal life on offer in the person of Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, John says, that which we have seen, we proclaim to you. John proclaims and testifies as an eyewitness. But we and every Christian are called to proclaim and testify the word of life. We're called to proclaim and testify Jesus Christ. We did not see him in the flesh. We were not eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And yet if you're a Christian, you know Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these truths which have been written and declared by eyewitnesses have been passed down and you believe it and cling to it. And therefore you are appointed to testify and proclaim the word of life to others. You might think that preaching or proclaiming primarily happens here on a Sunday. 
but that's not actually how it should be. This is a, this is a great moment where we hear the word read and it's, the word is preached and proclaimed. But actually, for me, preaching happens out there where we share the good news of Jesus with others. And again, hear me, hear me what I'm saying. I'm not saying get a music stand, go and stand and shout at people as they pass. But in conversation, proclaim the word of life to the people around you. Speak of what he has done in your life. And I want you to consider verse 4 just for a moment. I love 1 John 1 verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, isn't that a weird thing to write? Don't you think that it ought to be your joy? I'm writing these things to you so that you would be filled with joy. Don't you think that makes more sense in verse 4? And actually, some of the people who um, copied the the text read that verse and they went, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is an R. I think this should be a your. They, so you have manus- some manuscripts say your, and but the oldest and best manuscripts say our joy. So some monk somewhere went, No, I think that ought to be a your. So I'm just going to add a Y or whatever the Greek letter was that they added. Um, but actually, I think John is saying, by proclaiming these things, by writing these things to you, my joy becomes complete. John says proclaiming Jesus completes our joy. Christians experience joy in relationship with Jesus. I love to know him. I love to sing him praises. I love to join with my brothers and sisters and celebrate what he's done for us and love one another and care for one another. There's loads of joy in knowing Jesus. But I think there's a completion of joy in sharing Jesus with others. Let me try and give you a real life example. So my wife and I very recently were very, very lucky, went on the holiday of a lifetime to Jordan. And in my last sermon, I implied that I didn't have a great time. I did have a wonderful time. We did some amazing things. Um, We did so many great things. And it was fun while we were there. But there's also joy to be had in sharing that experience with others. To say, we rode on a camel. It was crazy. I even drunk camel's milk, which wasn't that nice. We stood on a mountain, supposedly the same mountain that Moses stood on, and looked over the Dead Sea into the promised land of Israel. It was phenomenal. It was amazing. So being there was beautiful, and sharing that with others is a completion of joy. Do you see? It's the same with Jesus. Knowing Jesus, experiencing him, wondering at him is great, but then to share that with others is a completion of joy. And you'll know this in, in your own lives. The things that you enjoy the most are the things you share with other people, and there's joy in sharing. When you find a great movie or a great book and you recommend it to someone, they read it as well. Isn't there just great joy in sharing that thing with someone? It's the same. In fact, it's even more true of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of sharing and proclaiming Jesus. If you are timid and scared to proclaim Jesus, you're missing out on joy, these verses teach us. I want to encourage you to be a joyful person, to complete your joy in knowing Jesus by sharing him with others. And we have a great opportunity to experience more joy in our lives and invite friends and family to Alpha over the next couple of weeks. I'm not saying it went well, but I texted some of my friends this week and wrote them a very soppy text message. Um, And they obviously gave me banter and abuse back. But anyway, I said something like this. Our church is running a short course with a chance for people to discuss what they believe. 
Jesus means a lot to me. Knowing him is the best thing in my life. So it would really mean a lot if you could give it a go. That was quite easy to write in a text message. And I think it expressed some of what I believed and some of what I hoped for my friends. And I actually got some very respectful responses back. And one person gave me a thumbs up. So I'm thinking the thumbs up means, yes, he's coming. I'm going to pick him up on the day. Anyway. (laughs) It's not my job to convict them of sin and make them come along to Alpha, but it is my job to share with them Jesus and do something so that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting there thinking, there is someone who I could invite, but I'm scared, there's joy for you in sharing Jesus with them. I really believe that. Even if you get a rejection and a wrong answer, there's joy for you in sharing Jesus with others. So there's joy in proclaiming the word of life. But why is it so important? Why is it so glorious to proclaim the word of life? Well, look at the end of verse three. John gives us the answer. And this is my fourth and final point this morning. The reason we proclaim the word of life is so that people might enjoy fellowship. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We preach Christ as Christians, and in doing so, we invite you to come and have fellowship with us. We invite you to enjoy the friendship and the family feel of church. And in churches, there is friendship, there is participation, there is community, there is real fellowship together. You might want to think about Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring and maybe you're Legolas or Aragorn or one of the Hobbits, whoever you want to be. But we are, we are together on a mission for fellowship and community, fighting alongside each other for what we believe in. And I hope we do well on this. We certainly work hard and we, there's always room to grow, but we really do want to do friendship and family in this church. Brothers, sisters, keep fighting for real fellowship with those around you in this church because our love for Christ makes us spiritual friends. We're united together. We, we love Jesus. We know the joy that it is to know Jesus. And so that unites us and gives us something that unites us together. We're very different people in lots of ways, different ages from different nations with different interests. And yet we all love Jesus. And that unites us together so that we can have real friendship, fellowship and family. But... A higher and more glorious fellowship is also on offer through the gospel. John says you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God the Father and God the Son. The love and friendship within the Trinity before creation, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit loving each other before creation is spread abroad, is poured out into creation. And every Christian, through the life of Christ, is invited into the love of the Trinity. We're invited to be friends and fellows with God the Father and God the Son. That's biblical language to say you are a friend of God. It's biblical language to say you have fellowship with God the Son, Jesus Christ. We know the God who created the universe. We know him who was from the beginning. We know him who was made manifest in the world. We know him who died for us on the cross. We know him who rose again from the grave. We have fellowship with Jesus, God the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. If you're not a Christian... Is that not a compelling invitation? I think it is. 
That's the invitation of Christianity. Come have friendship with the God of the universe. Come have friendship with Christ, who is your saviour. And if you are a Christian, is this fellowship invitation reflected in your life? I can genuinely say my days are full of conversation with God. I go about my life and I set aside certain portions where I'm just focused on him, reading the Bible and prayer. But just in general life, I'm just doing a lot of it in conversation with my God. Fellowship and friendship with him. My days are full of thanksgiving for what he has done for me and the circumstances I find myself in. There's loads of prayers for help. I need lots of help. And I go through, like, I remember when I, when I used to work in digital marketing and every time I'd have a difficult client phone call that I was just about to pick up the phone to, I used to go, Lord, I know this. if it's just me, this is going to be rubbish because I haven't done the work that I wanted or I did, a, I did my best, but it was rubbish. And I'm really sorry about that. But I say, God, help me. And I pick up the phone and have a conversation Sometimes it was still really difficult and a difficult conversation, but God always helped me. We should do life thanking him, asking for his help, and also waiting and listening and reading the Bible, expecting God to speak to us because we have fellowship with him. You know, when you open this book and read these words, God is speaking because the Holy Spirit is the author of these words. And so you can always hear from God in, on, in your day. But we know that God also speaks through many different ways, through other people, through pictures, through visions, just through thoughts. I often find when I'm praying and waiting for God that he puts a thought in my mind. I go, yeah, I ought to do that. That's the thing that God wants me to do. And I go and do it. And then I come back to listening to God. So are you enjoying fellowship with God the Father and God the Son? Because that's what this passage is all about. The word of life. Jesus Christ who was in the beginning with the Father. He's from the beginning. He was made manifest on the earth and the apostles touched him and saw him and heard him. The word of life is to be proclaimed and God has chosen us to do it. He's chosen us to proclaim him. And the word of life made fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son possible and a huge, huge joy. I want to invite us to stand and for the band to come to the front. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then I'm going to lead us in a time of response before we sing. The word of life in the beginning with the Father was made manifest. We proclaim him for fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of life, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was with you in eternity, that he has always existed, that he is God whom we worship and adore. We thank you that the word of life, Jesus, was made manifest, that he came to earth to rescue us, that he appeared in the flesh. He, became, he took on human flesh and lived amongst real people who heard him, saw him, touched him. We thank you for their testimony and their worship as they proclaimed these truths through the generations. And we say we believe in Christ. We believe in him as the one who died to save us. We believe in him as the one who rose from the grave. And I pray fill us with the Holy Holy Spirit to proclaim him to others. Make us more joyful people, Lord God. Break timidity and and shyness and fear in our hearts and give us joy in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And I thank you for fellowship with you. Nothing compares to knowing you, God. Nothing compares to having you as Father. Nothing compares to knowing you, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. 
I pray we would enjoy fellowship and friendship with you day by day, moment by moment, being full of thanksgiving and prayer and waiting and listening. Would you fix this in our hearts? For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.